Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. All right. It's good to see everyone here. I mean, it's, it's good, to, good for everybody to be in one place worshiping God uh, compared to the last year and a half that we've kind of been together. Um, let's begin. The year was 1173. Bonanno Pisano began the construction of a bell tower in the main square of the city of Pisa in Italy. The foundation of the tower was laid and the work on the ground floor was underway. Construction had progressed to the second floor five years later in 1178. However, at that point, something unexpected began to happen. The tower began to sink and the tower began to lean. The reason, well, they had built a three-meter foundation on a weak clay subsoil. And the clay soil wasn't strong enough to support the multi-floored tower upright. So construction stopped for 100 years, then wars with neighboring cities turned the people's focus off the tower. But after 100 years had passed, an engineer began to add more floors to the tower. He tried to compensate for the lean by making one side of the upper floors higher than the other. But this only caused the tower to lean over more. A seventh floor was added in 1319, despite the lean, and the bell chamber was finally added in 1372. The tower was left on its own until the 19th century. An architect then decided to dig a pathway at the base of the tower in 1838. He did this to allow the people to see the intricately crafted base. However, this caused the tower to lean even more. And by 1990, the building had reached a five-degree tilt. The tower was stabilized by remedial work between the years 1993 and 2001, reducing the tilt to 3.97 degrees or four degrees. In May 2008, engineers announced that the tower would be stable for at least 200 years. And earlier this month, uh, Gayla Renslow tried to hug the tower back into place, as you can see in this picture, uh, but was unsuccessful in straightening the tower. Yeah, I just had to do that. I, I, was, I was preparing my sermon. I was like, oh, the Renslows are in Italy. Oh, my gosh, they're at the Leaning Tower piece. I was like, I have to put this in here. Um, so what can we learn from the history of the Leaning Tower of Pisa? We learned that if the foundation of a construction project is built or laid on weak ground, the project is doomed if the problem is not addressed. It doesn't matter if you purchase the best materials in the market and hired a master builder that slowly and carefully constructed it. The building's in jeopardy. Now, it's possible to have a situation where the ground is firm and strong, but the foundation which is the part of the building that connects to the ground, is faulty. This is just as dangerous. As we see uh, not too long ago, the Champlain Towers South Condominium Building in Florida collapsed three weeks ago. Now, the investigation of the collapse is still in its early stages, but it appears that the Condos Owners Association had known for about two and a half years about a flaw in the original construction. And then on top of that, major structural damage caused by salt water infiltrating the concrete and eating away 
at the steel inside. You know, this is a common problem in you know, coastal buildings. In this instance, the foundation was deteriorating, but they failed to fix it. The last I checked, the death toll was at 79 people, and 61 people are unaccounted for. So join with me in, in prayer today. Almighty God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your great love. Lord, be with us now. Holy Spirit, come. We invite you here. And Lord, it sounds a little silly that we are saying, Lord, come, that you're already here, you're everywhere. But Lord, that's the, the, the position of our hearts. So Lord, use my words today. Prepare our hearts, prepare our eyes, prepare our ears. Thank you, Lord. And Almighty Father, surround those affected with your grace in this disaster and peace and preserve them through this disaster. And by your spirit, lift up those who have fallen, strengthen those who work uh, tirelessly to rescue lives and fill them with your hope. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. In our Old Testament reading in the book of Amos, we hear about another building project that's in jeopardy. In verse seven of chapter seven, the Lord gives Amos a vision. Amos sees the Lord standing by a wall built with a plumb line. Now, a plumb line is a string with a pointed weight fastened uh, at, to one end of the string. And when, when, you, when a string is placed beside a wall and the weight is allowed to hang freely, it will show whether or not the wall is plumb or perfectly vertical. If the wall is leaning and isn't fixed, eventually the wall will collapse. So God asks Amos what he sees, and he answers a plumb line. And as soon as he answers, God reveals his word to Amos. God says, I'm putting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. And I'm using it to show that my people are like a wall that is out of line. This wall is so far out of true vertical that it's going to fall. The wall mentioned in this passage is the children or the kingdom of Israel. And what's interesting from the passage is that this wall was built with a plumb line. It was fully plumb at one point in time. But now when God measures the wall with his plumb line, things are off. So what happened? Where did things go wrong? To understand this judgment, we have to go back and read First and Second Kings. God chose the children of Israel out of all nations and established his covenant with them. He built them up and promised that he would be, they would be his people and that he would be their God. He took them out of slavery in Egypt and established them in the land of promise. However, Israel was drawn away to worship the gods of the nations and to offer sacrifices to them in the high places. God gave them a plumb line, spoken of in Amos, the Torah, the covenant of God, which was supposed to be taught to everyone so they would not forget where they came from, what God has done for them, who they are, whose they are, and how to live as the people of God. Now, over the years, their beliefs about themselves and, and God changed, and the wall's foundation began to crack. And the wall started to lean. And eventually the wall fell down. And the children of Israel were taken into captivity. And God has an amazing track record of, of when he says something that's going to happen, it happens. But as we see, what we believe about God affects our whole lives, especially how we live. In addition, what we believe about ourselves is just as vital to our lives. In fact, what we believe to be true about ourselves has a lot to do with how our identity is formed and how we come to understand who and how we are. 
Our beliefs are the form the foundation of our lives and a faulty foundation will cause cracks and could either cause our beliefs and our whole lives to begin to lean and fall, just like a wall. To truly understand our identity, we have to go back to the beginning. The Bible says that we are made in the image of God. And while there are a lot of ways of understanding what exactly this means, what is clear is that God fashioned us with his hands and breath. In Genesis 1, the word for God's breath is ruach Elohim, which means the spirit of God. God's spirit gives us life, and we live and move and have our being in and through the spirit of God, every one of us, Acts 17. But yet our lives can be and are affected, defected, and sometimes infected with all sorts of things. Hence the people of God in Amos. And also for us, this is why all this being made alive by and in the spirit talk matters. It matters because we must learn and remind ourselves daily that we are creatures made by God and given life by God's spirit. This is why I believe that our spirit is the deepest part of us, the deepest part of who we are. It's the part of us that connects and communicates with God. When we became a Christian, the Bible says that our spirit has been made alive. Our spirit has been made new. Our spirit has been perfected in Christ. Our spirit has been purified. It's been renewed. It's been born again. It's been transformed. Now, I think it's vital to say that in addition to our spirit, our soul, mind, will, and emotions, all these aspects affect our daily lives and how we view reality. Now, even though our spirit is transformed when we come to Christ, all these other things that, can, that make us who we are can still be pretty messy. For example, we can be carrying a lot of hurts, bitterness, anger, hate, jealousy, and unforgiveness. Our souls can be weighed down by sin, fears, and even oppressed by evil spirits. Our souls can still feel condemnation and shame. For example, cognitively, we may know in our mind that we, that we are loved because we grew up in an abusive or broken home. Because of our sinful behaviors, we don't feel loved. We don't act as if we're deeply loved. Our soul still feels shame. We may, even, we may even feel unlovable and distant from God. Our soul still feels shame. Until our soul issues are dealt with, we'll never, we'll not be able to experience the fullness of God, nor the intimacy with him that he's designed us for, and that our heart truly longs for. Fixing the foundation or our identity, is learning to become who we already are. It is to see ourselves as God sees us. Now, until we get a proper perception of who we are in Christ, we will greatly limit what God can do with us and through us. Now, in the time that we have, we'll look at three things. What God says about us and our identity, and the foundation of our lives. Two, problems that affect the foundation of our lives. And three, how the foundation of our lives can be fixed. So what does God say about us and our identity? In the New Testament passage in Ephesians 1, along with chapters 2 and 3 of Ephesians, Paul mainly focuses on who we are in Christ. In Christ, or in him, through him, or by him. Him, him, him is the key expression used throughout uh, the book. That phrase is talking about our relationship with God, our union with Christ and how God views us in his eyes. So let's quickly look at the passage. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. 
So verses 3 and 4, we see that we're chosen. The blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him, before the foundation of the world, before anything that we can see was made, God chose us to be in Christ. This choice wasn't made based on who we are, or what we can do, or what we have. God chose us to make us holy and blameless in his sight. In Christ, we've been called for a purpose. We're not here by random chance. God has divinely orchestrated everything according to his plan. Verse 5, we see that we are his children. As in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself, as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. But we are adopted sons and daughters, and brought into the family of God through Christ. God is now our Heavenly Father. Jesus is our older brother. And we are brothers and sisters. In the Roman Empire, the adopted child had the full rights and privileges of a biological child and was fully released from the control of their biological parents. Adoption implies belonging and freedom. Verses 7, we see that we're redeemed and we're forgiven. It says, in him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us. In verse 11, we see that we received an inheritance from God. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now, inheritance is the practice of passing on property or, or titles or rights to another upon the death of an individual. And inheritance isn't earned. It isn't something you can work towards to get. It's a gift. In order for us to receive this inheritance, Jesus died. When Jesus died, there was a strange exchange that occurred. Jesus received everything that we deserve, the wrath of God, pain, suffering, and death. And in turn, we received what Jesus has, life with God, dwelling in God's presence, fellowship with God, and being his child. Verses 13 and 14, we see that we've been marked with a seal as a family member when we received the promised Holy Spirit. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. You know, a seal is an identifying mark. You know, often in movies we see, like, the king's letter. And so that thing that's in wax and that has the, the, the seal of the king. So it showed what was in the document. It verified that what was in the document came from the person whose seal was on the outside. Another example, kind of the farm here. So we don't have cattle yet, but cattle are branded with a seal to show who they belong to. This mark would deter people from stealing them because they had the seal upon them. In the event of theft or if ownership was ever questioned, anyone had to do is just look at the seal and the seal determined the owner. God marks us as his own and sends the Holy Spirit to live inside us. In our holy baptism liturgy, after the priest has baptized the candidate, they'll anoint them with oil making the sign of the cross on their forehead. 
and say, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. You see, all these things, this is who we are in Christ. This is how God sees us. This is the true foundation of our lives, and this is our true identity. This foundation is not laid on weak, unstable grounds. The ground that it's laid upon is the strongest, most stable, unchanging, solid ground, which is the love of God. Throughout the first three chapters of Ephesians, Paul emphasizes just how much God loves us and how his love isn't dependent upon our best efforts. He doesn't love us because of who we are or what we do. God loves us because who he is and what he has done, which makes God's love and this foundation unshakable. Our thoughts and our beliefs affect how we live our lives. And if we're going to build and live a healthy life, foundation is what we believe about ourselves. So what are some of the problems that can affect this foundation in our lives? A key problem with our identity is often we believe lies about ourselves rather than the truth of who God says we are. These lies are like building a house on a faulty foundation. They leave us with cracks in our souls. These lies often raise questions about our value. Now, the power of a lie is in our agreement with it. Whatever we agree with, we give power to. And there are three main lies that we can believe about ourselves. Let's look at this first one. That our value is dependent upon what we do and how well we do it. We base it on our performance. We have worth, we are loved and accepted, and everything's great in the world if we do this, 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 and this uh, perfectly. If we don't perform well, we're worthless, we're unlovable, we're rejected. We feel condemned and ashamed. But the good news is that our value is not determined by our performance. God doesn't love us less when we get it wrong. God doesn't love us anymore when we get it right. Second lie we believe sometimes is our values dependent upon whether certain people like us or not, or love us. Some people just need to be liked. So much so that we feel the pressure to please everyone and try to make everyone happy. As long as people like us and we have their approval, life is great. However, when we don't have a person's approval, we end up resenting him or her. When they demand more from us, we'll resent them even more. The truth is, is that they're not demanding more. We feel this inside pressure to do more, to give more, because we have to keep this person happy and have them like us for us to feel good about ourselves. But there's more good news, that our value isn't based on whether people love us. God's love. God doesn't love us more when anyone is pleased with us, and he doesn't love us any less when people don't adore us. Look at number three, our values dependent upon whether we are in control. Now, if we're in control, we can manipulate things. We can manipulate others. We can manipulate circumstances in order to create the results and outcomes we desire. Now, if things don't go according to our plan, we get irritable, angry, and anxious. People who have been hurt often struggle with control issues because they want to ensure that they are never hurt again. Fear is always behind the desire to be in control. But the good news is that our value is not determined by whether we are not in control. Other lies that people believe, I'm not wanted. I can't do anything right. 
I'm worthless. I don't like myself. I'm unlovable. I'm not worthy. Life has no meaning. Life has no purpose. God is just waiting for the moment that he can just drop the hammer on me. God hates me. God despises me. God likes others more than he likes me. I can't have victory. I can't get free from this. I'm doomed to fail. The list goes on and on. Empowering and reinforcing these lies and others that we believe about ourselves only damages our soul. They make the cracks in the foundation bigger and the building of our life begins to get out of line and we start to lean. So how can the foundation of our lives be fixed? How are these cracks dealt with? How can we determine whether our life is out of line? We'll take out the plumb line of our identity in Christ found in Ephesians and place it beside your beliefs about yourself. Are your beliefs plumb? And not just the cognitive beliefs that we have, but the deeper beliefs that reveal themselves in our actions and emotions that sometimes contradict what we say we believe. Are they in line with the truth of who God says that you are? Now, the only solution against lies is to declare the truth. The truth is this. The issue of our value was settled at the cross. On the cross, God declared to all humanity, you are of infinite worth to me. You are worthy of my son's blood. When your value and your identity are threatened, this is the truth that you must hold on to. This is the ground that we must lay the foundation and build our lives upon. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Don't build it on not, not what we or what others believe about ourselves, but what God himself believes and says about us in his word. The first words out of Jesus' mouth in the Gospel of Mark are, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Or in other words, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent in Greek is metanoia, which means change the way you think. Our thoughts about ourselves need to be brought in line with God's thoughts about us. We really change the way we think. We really believe that we are loved by God. How would it affect our lives? How would it affect our worship? As we draw to a close, I challenge us to inspect the foundation of our lives, our beliefs about ourselves. How do they line up with God's plumb line of who he says that we are? Are we leaning? Are our lives leaning? Are there any cracks in the souls that needs fixed? Is the building of our lives laid on the weak, unstable ground of self or rooted and grounded in God's strong love? I challenge you to examine yourself today. Are you carrying around a lot of hurts? Are there any bitterness, rage, anger, hate, jealousy, unforgiveness of others and of yourself dwelling inside? Are you weighed down by sin and feel that you can't break free? Do you feel shame and condemnation? Do you feel oppressed? Are there any lies in your life that you are empowering by coming into agreement with? Is your value based on your performance? Based on people pleasing? Or being in control? Are you just exhausted? 
Are you exhausted from trying to change the external things while completely ignoring the cracks, the shame, the fear, the condemnation that you're experiencing on the inside? Now, if you answered yes to any of these questions and want help, then come to Jesus. He said, come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus didn't come to this earth to sacrifice himself so that, he, so that we can live self-defeating lives. Struggling, going from week to week, struggling to learn and believe that God really does truly indeed love us. Jesus came to bring us back to the Father and to be in relationship with him. Jesus came so that we may have life and have it abundantly or to the full. Now there is pain and there are struggles in this world, but as Ashley preached last week, Jesus meets us right where we are in our pain and in our suffering. We don't have to go it alone. Now shortly we'll have an extended time of prayer focused on healing and intercession. If you're in need of healing, whether it's inner healing, as we talked about today in fixing the cracks in our souls or physical healing, or if you have any need, I invite you to come and receive prayer. Let our prayer ministers pray and intercede for you. Church of the Redeemer is part of the family of God, and as part of the family of God, we're called to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, to love one another as Christ has loved us. Let us pray. Loving Father, help us to see ourselves the way that you see us. That we are loved by you. That we are your loving, your loved children. That you're our Father. Jesus, you came to Nazareth one day and you read this to the people in the synagogue. You said, the, Lord, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then shut the book, sat down, and he told them that this scripture has been fulfilled in their hearing. This is what you came to do. So, Lord, I pray. For those of us that need good news today, Lord, may we receive the good news of your gospel, that you love us, you died for us, to bring us back to the Father, to have a relationship with you. Lord, for those that are brokenhearted today, whether it be through relationships or just the struggles of life, Lord, I pray that you would bind up their broken hearts. Lord, to those that are in bondage, bound, Lord Jesus, bring freedom and liberty. Proclaim your favor upon us, Lord. And Lord, later on, you speak in the passage that you come to comfort all who mourn, and to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit or a spirit of despair that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. And that all these people, Lord, the ones that 
needed good news to hear. The people that had, their hearts have been, their broken hearts have been bound up. The people that have been set free. The people that have mourned. The people that have, that have been rummaging around in the ashes that you've lifted up. Given them the oil of gladness. The garment of praise. That these people shall rebuild the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities. The devastations of many generations. In, in that passage, there's this off sentence that says that he may be glorified. So, Lord, we thank you for who you are and what you've done. And, Lord, may you receive all the glory that happens today. The Holy Spirit, come and fill this place and do what only you can do. And I pray this in the mighty, powerful, and wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.